You're listening to Something Real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On this week's Something to Talk About, we're talking about Be Reconciled, the message from this past week. The basis of this message is Jesus is saying, hey, y'all need to repent because you're on a you're on a clock here. We're all on a clock and we never know when that time is going to run out for any of us. Uh, so he really, he really touches on the importance of repentance here in Luke uh, and Rich and I get into that discussion in this episode. I do want to apologize a little bit in advance. Uh, if you hear any little background noise, we are in the process of moving into our new church building, which is really exciting. Um, but they're still working on it and there were painters uh, working on everything. So while it's going to look great and again, we're really excited, uh, uh, you might hear a little bit of background noise from from the painters, but I'm not going to complain about it. I'm really excited to move into this new building and start this next chapter for real life. But with that being said, hope you guys enjoy the episode. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I, you asked if I was ready. Drink some my, more my coffee, brain please. Was not there, so. Uh, so we are professional podcasting. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what we need on our mugs. Uh, so we are in Luke still. Um, big surprise. We're, we are, we're enjoying yes. it. And we, this last week, we kind of crossed over from 12 to 13. Right. Um, so to start off, do you want to give a quick summary of what we talked about on Sunday? Um, yeah, as we, uh, as we looked at, at the end of Luke chapter 12, we picked up with verse 49 and ran through the beginning of chapter 13. And, and as we were um, walking through there, Jesus gets to a point where he says some pretty hard things. He's dealing with some hard kinds of, of truth that really create a crisis of faith, that um, the crisis of, of, of conscience where decisions have to be made. I have to choose what I'm going to do. I can't sit on the sidelines anymore. And um, so, you know, we saw in this that, uh, that that God wants everyone to be saved, and He offers mercy, but that mercy has a deadline. It's you know, that's not something that is forever. There's going to come a time when the door closes, and, and that's it, and, and it's over. And so, uh, as He's walking through this, uh, He kind of kind of you know just throws a rock into comfortable religion or respectable religion. Which is what they were used to. The the Jewish leaders, uh, the synagogue leaders, we'll see that as we move into chapter thirteen a little bit more. Um, they're respected. They've got a system. They don't want things. I just watched the Lego Movie last night for the first time. I've never seen that. And, and everything it, is awesome. It, 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 well, it reminded me of this actually because. Um, the, you know, I love a pop culture reference well, when we're tying know, it in here. The, the president business in, in here, the Will Ferrell's character, the dad, and all that, wanted things to be perfect and orderly and fit into my box. Right. And so, you know, he's going to super glue all the Legos. And it's not, the toys are not for playing with, but we're going to have this actually just be frozen. And that's kind of what happened with the respectable, comfortable religion. We have our traditions, and you know that's all that matters. We're going to stay with that because that's what we know. That's what works for Tradition. us. And then, exactly, very much so. Uh, and and you know, I love some fiddler on the roof. So, um, which should not ever cast Will Ferrell as Tevye. That would not be good. Sure. But anyway, the the whole dynamic of it uh, reminded me of this because Jesus is coming in saying, look. That's not what this is about. This is not about fitting in, fitting into the culture, fitting into your church expectations. Uh, in fact, he starts out this particular section that we were looking at uh, in verse 49 saying, I came to cast fire on the earth. 
uh, and would that it were already kindled. Uh, so his his whole thing is saying, look, this this isn't so I can come around and give you inspirational tidbits. There is a major upheaval. Everything is going to be destroyed. Everything is going to be judged. And only what is true and real and eternal will remain. And so there's a there's a, a very strong urgency here. There's a passion in what he's presenting. And he goes on to say, you know, in verse 51, you think I came to bring peace? That's not it at all. No, I tell you rather division. Uh, for from now on, one house uh, in in one house there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. I apologize for my stumbling here. I'm using the ESV today, where I would normally be using the NIV, uh, but I have the wrong Bible with me. Anyway, uh, it's his whole point here is that you can't just you know think we can have Christianity as a religion and then move forward into life as if it's just a better version of what we've already done. We've, you know, we've classed ourselves up. We've uh, increased our social standing. We, we've fixed the problems in our lives. We've got better marriage and happy, smiling children, happy, shining people everywhere. Uh, that's not what, that's not at all what this is about. This is about being all in with Christ, all in with reality, and recognizing that the world around us is counter to that reality. Right. And there is no peace, there is no fellowship between light and darkness. Well, I think, let's break that down for a second because... <coughs> Excuse me, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> let's break that down for a second because I feel like there's two ways to look at this. Number one, when he says, when Jesus says, I, I've come to bring fire... And divide everybody, I mean, divide y'all's families. Right. That's not exactly what we like to think about no, when we, it comes to this warm, cozy Jesus that we're. Right. You know. We get this Norman Rockwell picture, and right. I love Norman Rockwell. But one of the nice things that I like actually about Norman Rockwell is in the midst of these nostalgic, happy, cozy pictures, there's a grittiness to it. Mm-hmm. There's actually a kind of a. You know, you see the dirty little kids, you know, there's there's a hardship right. to it. But the picture that Jesus is giving is more like a Rembrandt where there's this this detailed, you know, disemboweling of what's going on there that is horrible and beautiful at the same time. And so when he's talking about the judgment of God, uh, the, the kingdom coming, it's inherently, you know, the hellfire and brimstone kind of thing. But that's the first part of the gospel. There is right. judgment coming, right. but God wants everyone to be saved. Mm-hmm. So it's not that you know, it's not that God is slow in keeping His promises, as Peter says in Second Peter. It's like it's not that God is slow in keeping His promises, but instead He's expressing patience right. with you the human race. Be happy that He's expressing exactly. patience because <laughs> if it ended now, right. there are no second chances, and, and you're going to have to answer for everything. We're all going to have to answer for everything, but. In his grace, in his mercy, he is delaying the return. He's delaying that final judgment so that all who will be saved will be saved. And if we, you know, if we cut this off, if we fail to do our job, if we don't take the gospel out, or if we don't personally repent, we'll see that uh, going forward in the next chapter. It's not about who all is going to be saved. It's about are you going to be saved? Are you going to get yourself right? And that's the call that he has here at the end of 12 and into 13 is, look, you see these tragedies that happen and, and people ask, well, you know, why does God allow this tragedy to happen? And Jesus kind of shifts the narrative and says, um, you might be missing the point. What you need to see is that unless you repent, you're going to have 
all this perishing, all this torment, all this terrible stuff, much worse than a wall falling on you, much worse than, right. than Pilate coming in and killing you during your sacrifices, much worse than a hurricane hitting Puerto Rico or, or tornadoes in the Midwest, much worse than disease or abuse, much worse than the worst things that we see on the news. Understand, if you don't repent, every one of you, there's no exception, there's no good people that get a pass. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. You're going to hell. He couldn't be more blunt. And so right. when we have this soft peddling of the gospel or this you know, warm, fuzzy, blue jeans kind of Jesus. He, you know, his arms around the kids. Right, and Jesus is my homeboy. Not to say that that's not part of his character, right? I mean, when we see this, I mean, people argue all the time that, you know, well, love like Jesus loved. It, it, but, again, that love is expressed in not just, you know, giving you hugs all the time, but telling you, hey, you got to get right or you're going to perish. That, to me, is another sign of his love. Yeah, Jesus is the perfect picture of what what all of us, especially ministers, but but all of us as, as Christ followers should be, that when we when we're interacting with people, the call of the gospel, the call of the Christ follower is to comfort the afflicted and afflict mm-hmm. the comfortable. Mm-hmm. So that's what Jesus does. He loves perfectly and completely. But Jesus is a highly confrontational individual, as as we see him going through here. Not not that that's his personality. I, I don't I think we have I'm a clear say, yeah. picture yeah. of his personality. Uh, so then we speculate. And we what, what we what we can get from Scripture about the personality of Christ is that he's a man of sorrows. So he he grieves, he weeps, he understands the hardships. He <clears throat> he is very average, very normal. So there's nothing about him. Uh, in his physical makeup or his natural out. beauty that that stands out, where everybody's like, "Oh wow, he's look how perfect he is." Right. You know, you think of the the famous uh, Hollywood actors, and and as you look at at all of these people, they're the beautiful people, right? They're right. they're they're famous, they're talented, their their gifts are showing. You see the the rock stars of our day. They you know, and they you're have somehow this, drawn to them because right, of there's that. a compelling right. magnetism, and we've created that sort of a celebrity culture in the church as well. So we see these megachurch pastors. Have you ever noticed that there are no ugly megachurch pastors? You just don't see that. There are, you know, you see the, the, the Joel Osteens out there who, you know. Very white teeth. And I'm not, I'm not knocking him, but dude's a Ken doll, right? So just this, this picture of physical perfection. He's got this, you know, beautiful wife and, right. and beautiful kids and beautiful You see like everything. Stephen Furtick who's, you know, Stephen, Yeah, right. Whatever. He steps out of the gym. He's got his right. man beard out there right. and, and very... His com- man beard, he's very, man. He's very, very <laughs> As opposed compelling. to his woman beard. A whole other topic. We can talk about that another time. But as we're, as you know, and you see Stephen Furtick, if he's not preaching the gospel, people are still following Stephen Right, exactly, exactly. If Joel Osteen isn't preaching the gospel, people are still following Joel right. Osteen. It, you know, and you can see that with a lot of these. Uh, Rick Warren, maybe not as much. You know, this. <laughs> sorry, Rick, if you're listening. Ooh. He's not listening. But but the reality is, Rick Rick Warren's not trying to be cool. Right. He's trying to connect with people. And, right. I, and, and I'm not endorsing or, or condemning his ministry. Uh, I'm, I'm just saying this is a guy who is... Not your typical megachurch pastor. He doesn't have an overly compelling speaking style. He doesn't have an overly compelling. But there's a message that compels people. When we when we look at Jesus, if Jesus were not preaching the gospel, if he were not doing what he's doing, 
I think it would be pretty logical and pretty scriptural to make the case that people would not be following him. People are following him because he's teaching with authority. He's rightly dividing the word of truth since he is the word of truth. He's He's bringing a message that has power that authenticates it that, you right. know, as he's doing all these miraculous healings and so on. But, but more than just the miracle of it, the compassion of his character is big. So we see pictures of Christ's character throughout this. We don't necessarily see his personality. And I think we often confuse that. So we see the gentle Jesus and we think that gentleness is part of his personality rather than part of his character. Gotcha. And, and again, I, I don't, if it sounds like I'm knocking you know, Joel Osteen or Stephen Furtick, then, then we're missing the point. The point is that these, not that these guys are bad in any way, whether they are or are not, is not relevant to what I'm talking about, but that there is something compelling about them in the flesh, right. separate from the spirit. Right. It, what they, you know, Craig Groeschel from from uh, Life Church is another picture of that. A guy who just, if he's not a pastor, he's going to be a famous leader, speaker in front of people. Anyway, right. that's just right. the, that's the the flesh. Uh, the natural skills and abilities that are there. Jesus is bringing a message that is, I don't care if you like me, very much like John the Baptist, only John the Baptist is more of a radical prophet picture. Jesus is more middle of the road as far as all of his, the rest of his stuff. But, But the message is the same. The message is repent because the kingdom of God is near and you are being offered mercy, but understand that this is a, there's a narrow door that's coming up in 13. There's a narrow path. And that door's going to close. And at some point, if you haven't turned, it will be too late. So the division that comes in the families is not that Jesus wants people to not get along. It's not that Jesus wants people to, you know, you're going to have all these, you know, struggles, all these difficulties um, because, you know, we're going to, you know, like like the cults where we're going to separate you from your family and all that. But there is truth. And your job, your responsibility is to win your family, to, to win your neighbor, but understand that the world will hate you. The darkness will hate the light and will flee from the light or will suffocate the light, which scientifically it kind of jumps the metaphor there. But anyway, the, he said the student is above the teacher. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Right. And if they don't, then maybe you're not really that much like the teacher. So we need to be taking a look at, at ourselves. And that's kind of the whole point of this particular passage. <clears throat> I apologize for the terrible coughing in the microphone. Well, um, that's a tough reality for us, I, I think. You know, to when you, when you put it so bluntly and so <clears throat> blatantly, you know, yeah, people are probably going to hate you. Nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> right. Well, and especially you look at, at our world in 2019. So if, if, we're, if we're preaching the gospel... We want to say, oh, we don't want to talk about politics. We don't want to talk about things that moral issues. We don't want to talk about things that, that create controversy. Right. We just want to preach the gospel. Well, those are antithetical thoughts. The, the reality is if I'm preaching the gospel, all of this is within the purview of that. All of life falls under that category. Here is God's reality. Here is everything else that is a, a falsehood, an imitation, a lie. Sounds so like if, it should be a theme for a podcast. <laughs> well, we, we can... We can definitely do. Uh, we, as as we preach these words, and we say there is one way to God, and you're not on it, and you need to get on it because I love you, and if you don't, you're going to die and go to hell. Right. 
that is innately offensive. Right. I can say it in the most winsome way, and it's mm -hmm. still an offensive truth. If the gospel that you present doesn't offend people, it isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ as presented in the Bible. What they do with it then is, not, is up, up to them. up to them. them. Right. Our job is to... to Plant the seeds to go out and. If you and want to get offended and say I'm done with you and I'm not listening to this garbage anymore, absolutely, then that's on them. But it's also important for us not to be offensive in ourselves. If our flesh is offensive, so if we're doing things that are deliberately to make us different right. in ourselves, then we're going above the line of the scripture. Right. Which is exactly what the Pharisees were doing, the, and they were in control of the the synagogues. Sadducees had more political influence. The Pharisees had more of the religious influence. And they were the pious, you know, super well-respected, super holy guys. But their whole deal was, we want to be set apart from those terrible Gentiles. We want to be, we want you to know how holy you, we are. We want you to know that we are, are um, we're on track with God. We're in tight, you know. And, and this external thing uh, is really, it's a flesh-oriented thing. They, they don't see it that way because it's religious. But religion is inherently a fleshly thing. Right. Uh, Jesus is calling us to a spiritual thing, to get beyond that so that the, the offense comes from God, not from me being offensive. Right. Okay. If, I don't know if I'm saying no, that, that clearly. No, that makes but. sense. And I think also we've touched on this before. A lot of it depends on the relationship you have with somebody. As far as your, not, I don't want to say your authority, but your... I think authority is the right word. I, I think you're right with that. The relationship gives us the authority, the relational authority to be able to speak truth into somebody's right. life, to build value into that life. So if I don't have a relationship with you, then I can say something and it really doesn't mean anything. Who cares? It might plant a seed, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, just like you and I, we have a relationship. We've known each other for a number of years. We connect here over the scriptures. We podcast together. Uh, and so when when something is happening in your life, I can speak to you about that with a different level of authority than somebody else. Right. Something is happening in my life and you say, hey, you know what, what's going on here? Right. You can speak to that with a different level of authority. That also gives us a greater opportunity to encourage one another, mm -hmm. to comfort one another, to do all the one another things that we see the church called to. Right. So relationship is huge. That's, that is the, the big reason, the number one reason why... Uh, at real life, our, our statement of purpose, uh, the way we word the capturing of what the New Testament calls us to as a church, it's the same for every church, just the emphasis in the words is perhaps a little different, is, is to reflect the reality of Christ through relationships. And, and to specifically say through relationships speaks to that point that you're making that, that does give a certain authority, a relational authority to what is being said. Right. If I reflect the, the reality of Christ uh, just in this insular thing where it's just in-house and, and only with other Christians and you know I don't interact with the world, then that's, that really limits my ability to win them for the gospel. Right. At the same time, in the church, if I do it you know, with just the the comfortable, respectable, Sunday morning, hi, how are you? You know, and we say all the right words and we do all the right things, but we don't connect on a relational level, then I can't speak into someone's life within the church family. But then you're either. just the guy in the corner with a street sign saying the end is near, repent, you know? Right. <laughs> or, or you're that that uh, cold, aloof family that lives in the same house but doesn't actually bond with Right, anybody. and everything's so just surface. Any of those any of those options are bad. Right. The, the, the right option for all of us 
is to be like Jesus, which seems almost trite because we say it so much, but that's the reality. To be like Jesus means we are engaged relationally, we are compassionate and loving, uh, and in and not. Let me finish the thought before I sidetrack myself. We're compassionate and loving. We're invested so that when someone hurts, we hurt with them. When someone rejoices, we rejoice with them. And we see that in the picture of Jesus over and over and over again. He, he encounters someone who is suffering and he has compassion on them. His heart goes out to them. Mm-hmm. It's more than just, you know, he sees them and he heals them. He sees them and he heals them because his heart breaks for them. When, he, when he's heading into Jerusalem and, and he sees this city that represents the kingdom of God and yet is so full of, of worldliness and sin, uh, even having killed the prophets and, and now rejecting Messiah, his heart breaks. He weeps for them. And it's not, it's not a weeping because, man, I'm here to do this and you're letting me down. It's weeping because you could have this. God has a plan for you. And yet you're going to allow yourself to be destroyed by the hardness of your heart. And and that sort of attitude has to be what drives our evangelism. If we're going to share the gospel sure. with people, what he's saying here in in twelve forty nine through thirteen nine ish in this neighborhood, uh, if that doesn't just wreck us to see, okay, I got mine. I've, I've repented. I'm in this relationship with Christ, but this offer of mercy has an expiration date. And people that I love, that I care about, are not going to take advantage of this. I should be weeping Mm -hmm. every time I think of my friends who don't know Christ. And then it becomes less important to me whether or not I offend them. Because I love them too much to to be concerned about their offense. And, and, And we would do that with... Any kind of earthly thing. You know, we see somebody... If you're in danger, you know. Yeah. You know, if you've got somebody that you like and they're a gambling addict, right. you know, and, and you've tried to talk to them about it, they're not going to do anything about it, you know, and you try to set up an intervention. Mm-hmm. Or you have somebody that you love who's hooked on heroin or opiates or whatever, or, or alcohol, and, and you see them ruining their lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a little while, you, you know, you try to talk to them, and there comes a point where... If you still love that person, if you care about them, you don't just say, well, that's eh, whatever. They're going to do what they're going to do. That's not love. That's the opposite It of should love. kill you to see them going Absolutely. through Absolutely. And it should kill you enough to act on it, to say, right. listen, you're drunk. I'm taking your keys. Right. That's not, and you can be mad at me if you want. Right. I'm taking your keys. Right. Uh, we're going to intervene here. We're going to do everything that we can. You still have to make your own choices mm-hmm. and you're going to have to suffer those consequences, but I will not rest until I know I've done everything that I can to actually help you through this. Right. But then we see people in sin that in mortal sin, we focus on those external things. But we see people who are outside of a relationship with Christ or are distorting the word of God. And, and especially people who are being lied to. I'm going to try really hard not to get emotional and fired up right now. But people who are being lied to by churches, by pastors, who are in the most heinous, evil way, teaching people that sin is not sin. We are destroying lives in the name of what we want to call compassion. It's not compassion. Love is love is love is love. Right. That's the opposite of anything that we see as real love. So no parent, no friend would ever just say, I'm going to support everything that you do because I love you. 
even if what you're doing is destructive, even if what you're doing is going to kill you. We, you know, we see somebody that we love and they, they're smoking and we know it's going to cause them cancer. Like, man, listen, you really need to smoke, stop smoking. Hey, you have COPD. You should stop smoking. You already have lung cancer. You should stop smoking. And, and we're going to continue to beat that drum. And yeah, they're going to be offended. They're going to get sick of it. And us. they might not change a darn thing. They might not. But it doesn't mean I'm going right. to just say, eh, whatever, go ahead and die. Or have that care. mindset. Well, they're not going to change anything, so I'm not going to say anything. So I'm anything. never going to tell right. them. Right. How can you say that you love them in that case? Right. So then when we see people who are uh, especially, it's even worse. I think it, it, when people don't know the gospel and they, they know they're outside of God, you know, they, they don't believe in God, they, they reject Christ, it's really easy to see. Right. And it's sometimes easier for us to, to speak to them or to preach to them. What's worse, <clears throat> what's worse, I think, is those who are in the church, at least nominally, they're, they're connected with the church, they call themselves Christians, but they have been so deceived about the word of God that they think that all paths lead to God. They think that coming to church gets them into heaven. They think that I can live an immoral lifestyle. I can I can be uh, engaged in, in fornication outside of the marriage of one man and one woman. And that's okay because, mm-hmm. you know, God loves everybody. And, you know, because I've been forgiven by Jesus, it, it just, it doesn't matter what I do now. He's already paid for all my sins. I don't have to live right. right. If that's the case, I have no part of Christ. Right. And the Bible's very <laughs> clear about that. But if we leave those things out, we don't love the people that we're, that we're dealing with. And we need, to, we need to get a sense of urgency and a sense of reality. I was just talking with some parents, uh, youth parents uh, last night that, you know, the idea that some parents have it just kills me. That, well, I don't want to force religion down my kid's throat. I don't, you know, I want them to be able to make their own decisions. And uh, so I don't want to tell them what to believe. That's the dumbest thing. I, I, I don't think I could have less compassion for that. Can I be offensive here? For that stupid, Please inexcusable, do. ridiculous mindset. Because if you don't teach them what to believe, somebody's going to. Right. They're being bombarded every moment of every day with the devil's lies, with the world's influence, and with their own flesh and their sinful nature. Somebody probably has more to, so now than ever, thanks to technology and at least differently. Yeah, there's there's more inundation from the right. technology and those kinds it. of things. But the but it's always been the same right, that right. we that we have the world, the flesh, and the devil constantly. We are literally baptized in those things, mm-hmm. immersed, fully soaked in the world. And so if we don't Tell our kids, listen, there is one way and you need to get on that way or you are going to die and go to hell. If we don't tell our kids that, how can we say we love them? This is huge. This is a desperate thing. And what makes the biggest difference is whether or not I see the things of Christ. If I, see, if I, if I think of Christianity and this religion that we're a part of and I go to church because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Or if I recognize the reality of Christ, that Jesus is the center of everything. Every part of reality holds itself together in him. And apart from him, there is nothing. There is no life. There is no truth. There is no hope. When I begin to see life in Christ as as oxygen, this is the reality. 
I would never deprive my children of oxygen. I would never give my children the freedom to choose whether or not they play in the highway. I would never give my children the freedom to choose whether or not they go to school to get educated. We don't do that. So why would we say, well, I don't, I don't want to force them to go to church. You force them to go to school. You force them to go to their sports practice. You force them to go to work if they have a job. Why would you change that dynamic? When you see something as important, you don't just casually say, yeah, whatever, do what you want. When I, rec- <laughs> when I recognize this as reality, yeah. it changes everything about how I think and everything about how I approach others. And that's what Jesus is saying here. This division comes over truth. Truth is the issue. And because this is truth, when you get it, the people around you who don't, even if they're religion, religious, maybe especially if they're religious, there will be a division. That because is they're, irre- they're going to think they're right. If they're, I think especially pe- you know, people that fall in this uh, giant Christianity blanket uh, where they're being lied to, essentially, right. they still think they're right. Absolutely. Look at what's happening in our culture with the, the moral revolution right. that we've been uh, facing. for. I mean, it's been going on for decades, but it's really in earnest during this time we're seeing a, a, a just an amazing exponential um, acceleration of this revolution and it's it's not hidden it's not right. behind the scenes it's not counterculture anymore it, it, it used to be a lot of the um, the overt moral things that you'd see were pretty countercultural because mm-hmm. the the influence of judeo-christian values in our society made it normal for people to be at least externally, moral, responsible people. Right. Watching Dick Van Dyke and you know Rob, who's a man, is which you know is normally we would think in that generation we think of men using coarse language and not women. Women right. would never do that. That's terrible. Not today, but anyway, um, there's a, an episode where little Richie comes home and and uh, has used some bad language. And Rob is livid because of the parents of this other kid. Do they want their child to be a social pariah? Do they, you know, do they want to ruin his life? Because if you use that kind of language, people won't respect you. We don't live in that world anymore. So that's true. now we're in a place where that's just normal. You know, any kind of moral, what it's not even upheaval anymore. Upheaval is <laughs> trying to not be that. There right. is a huge thing right now, uh, even among so-called Christians condemning the purity movement as they call it that that this was the most damaging thing that we would you know promote purity to people i can't even say those words without thinking this is the most ridiculous statement in the world how can we say purity is bad when we're talking about our bodies and our behaviors and and living right but the fact that we would encourage not just uh you know you know what we consider safe sex in the world, but what we would consider purity and abstinence uh, a worthwhile thing. And I'm, I'm even uncomfortable a little bit with the word abstinence because it changes the, the direction. But we look at, at what has historically been understood as normative. Now we've got that all turned around. And, and you look at how we have shifted in the culture now toward you know, homosexuality and, and you know, all these gender issues that now it's almost impossible for Christians, for church people, to not think that that's normal because we've been told that so much. And then so, if you don't think that, you're, you're, you're a bigot you're, or you're racist absolutely. or you're homophobic so now, or whatever. Right. So if you say, here's what the Bible says, it doesn't really matter 
<laughs> it doesn't even matter if the, if the person you're talking to is in that lifestyle. Because you're saying it, you are a homophobe. Because you're saying it, you're a bigot. Because you're saying it, you hate people. Right. That's not it at all. I say it because I love people. When I, I think of uh, you know a close relative of mine uh, who is in that lifestyle, and first thing that that we did, we took a you know a long drive together, and we got to talk about this. I said, "Listen, man, here here's what I'm seeing, and here's what the scripture says." And I love you. And I will always love you. That's not going to change. I'm not going to stop caring about you. I'm not going to stop interacting with you. But you know the truth. And you need to see that you're when you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Mm-hmm. You are getting crossways of God. And no matter what anybody tells you, the Bible still is the Bible. And the culture changing doesn't change the, the absolute ultimate reality and the eternal truth of God's word. I think we got to stop there. We'll get into this for an hour, but uh, we're going to be, I think chapter 13, we're going to get into that more next week. Um, and is that kind of, I think you touched on it briefly, that kind of opens the door more for, for what Jesus is saying here about, you know, your, your time's essentially running out to do this. Yeah. He really kind of wraps that up by nine and then we're, we're starting to move into another thing, but, it, but there is this, this very clear picture of a narrow door and, right. and a narrow way. And so it's not this broad, easy path. And for that reason, I think maybe we're better off in the culture we are in now than the, the, the Christian culture that has been out there, the Christianized culture that's been out there. Um, better off because this purifies the church. When the church is persecuted and it's not easy, then we have to face the reality of it. And when it's comfortable, we don't have to face reality. Right. So we'll talk more about that uh, on the Friday podcast. And then uh, be sure to tune in on Sunday to hear the sermon about that. And we'll talk more about it next week. So thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.